Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 184. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Primary season is on full blast. The Mar-a-Lago thing is everywhere. And summer is almost over. And now is definitely a time to stay vigilant. What's at stake today, Congresswoman? Well, look, I think today, uh, no matter what the outcome is, is certainly the beginning uh, of, of a battle that, that is going to continue and is going to go on. And uh, as a country, we're facing uh, very challenging and difficult times. Uh, we're facing a moment where uh, our democracy really is uh, under attack and under threat. The battle is on. It's basically been on for the last few years. We've covered it on this show. It's the battle for the soul of America. But now, that battle is intensifying. And it's going way beyond just political fighting. The FBI and Justice Department are all over Trump. And the battle lines are drawn and being deepened just in time for another election this fall and another presidential election in just two years. Things are getting nastier, more divided, and more violent, with more violence likely and promised. As we covered last episode, since the FBI delivered a search warrant at Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence, threats to FBI personnel and government officials of all kinds are through the roof. Just hours after I dropped the latest episode last Thursday, warning about the likelihood of attacks. An armed attacker tried to breach the Cincinnati office of the FBI. He was shot and killed, and police identified him as 42-year-old Ricky Walter Schiffer from Columbus, Ohio. In a post on his Truth Social account on August 9th, just one day after the raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago place, Schiffer said he was, quote, proposing war and encouraging others to, quote, Be ready to kill the enemy, kill the FBI on sight, and be ready to take down other active enemies of the people and those who try to prevent you from doing it. That guy, Schiffer, was believed to have been in D.C. in the days leading up to the January 6th insurrection. He may have been at the Capitol on the day of the attack, but he wasn't charged with any crimes. And his last post happened during the standoff with police when he had a nail gun an AR-15, and he wrote, well, I thought I had a way through bulletproof glass, and I didn't. If you don't hear from me, it's true. I tried attacking the FBI, and it'll mean either I was taken off the internet, the FBI got me, or they sent the regular cops, while, and the post apparently ended mid-sentence. He had replied to another person on the platform on Thursday, saying, quote, I do not expect to save America. I do expect to die trying. If, when I'm gone, you stick to the pseudo-historical line that America doesn't use violence, you deserve what happens to you. Your children, unfortunately, do not. Schiffer tried, and he died. And others will try too. But how many? How often? Can they be encouraged not to? Can they be pulled away from the violent edge? Are their calls for civil war real? What will Trump supporters really do? Some are calling for civil war. Some are rushing to the polls. Some are staying quiet. And most are listening to conservative talk radio. And more of them are listening to Buck Sexton and his co-host Clay Travis than any other show in America except maybe Sean Hannity. Every day, more than 10 million people tune into over 400 radio stations every day to hear Buck Sexton. But who are these people? How is that audience changing? What are they thinking? This show, 
Our show, Independent Americans, is a show that talks to and with all sides. We've had conservatives like Meghan McCain and liberals like Rachel Maddow and everyone in between. And I want to continue to explore all sides and all communities and all political pieces that are colliding across America and are trying to attract independent Americans. So in this episode, we're going to seek to understand the tip of a new spear of talk radio. And we're going to talk to our guest, Buck Sexton. Can we forget about the things I said when I was drunk? I didn't mean to call you that. If you don't know, Buck Sexton is an American radio talk show host, a political commentator, a podcaster, and a former CIA intelligence officer. He's the co-host of the very popular Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show, nationally syndicated on Premier Radio Networks, which is a part of iHeartRadio. He's the host of Hold the Line on the conservative First TV and was a former guest host for Rush Limbaugh. He's been a guest host on the Sean Hannity Show and the Glenn Beck Program. He's a regular on Fox News and Fox Business, and he used to be on CNN. He grew up in Manhattan, and in 2000, he enrolled in Amherst College in Massachusetts, my alma mater, where he got a bachelor's degree in political science just a few years after I left campus. He went on to join the CIA as an analyst, and he was first assigned to the Al-Qaeda-focused Counterterrorism Center, the CTC. And later, he got transferred to the Office of Iraq Analysis. And in 2010, he joined the New York City Police Department's Intelligence Division as an intelligence research specialist focused on counterterrorism cases. And in 2011, he started working as a national security editor for Glenn Beck's conservative Blaze. And after Rush Limbaugh's death, after much speculation in 2021, Buck, along with his co-host Clay Travis, were named the replacement for Rush Limbaugh, a show broadcast on 400 stations around the country. Millions of people listen to him every day. He is driving the conversation among conservatives and especially among Trump supporters. He's an unapologetic Trump supporter and attacking liberals and Democrats daily. Love him or hate him, he's influential. And as Trumpist candidates continue to win in primaries, including this week in Wyoming, as the Trump-backed Harriet Hageman beat Liz Cheney 66% to 29%, by talking to Buck, we can understand more about what is really to come. So after Mar-a-Lago, and after the attack on the Cincinnati FBI, and after continued calls for violence, what happens next? What will Trump supporters really do? I'll ask a man who talks to, for, and with them every single day more than anyone in America, except for Trump himself and Hannity. I'll ask Buck about his role in the media, about being the heir to Rush Limbaugh, about who his audience really is, and how he sees them reacting to the Trump news now. And we're going to talk about something we always talk about, the national security implications, and whether or not Trump will run again, and if Buck will support him. And if he doesn't, who will he and his audience support? What's the future of the Republican Party? Is the GOP its own worst enemy? Independents are leaving the Republican Party. We'll talk about why. By the way, they're leaving the Democratic Party, too. Other shows want to have people screaming at each other or screaming over each other. I don't do that. And I don't want to do that. I want to seek to understand and help you understand. And look for common ground, as small as it might be. And to not only stay vigilant, but to stay civil. Because we disagree, doesn't mean we have to feed the fire. We can at least try to add light to contrast the devastating heat. And the rising, burning fire that is destroying the country we love. I recorded this conversation with Buck a little over a week ago. And I think it's an interesting one. So welcome to a look inside the next generation of conservative talk radio. Welcome to an exploration of the GOP in 2022. 
Welcome to a look into the return of Trump and a preview of what's to come. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 184. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, these are exceptionally crazy times. The dog days of summer are here. The political fights are hot. And I am very happy and thrilled to have on this program a man I've known for a long time, a guy I've been eager to have join us on this show, a rising star in media and politics, and a Lord Dreff, now a mammoth, we'll talk about that and more, the great and powerful Buck Sexton joins us on Independent Americans. Welcome, Buck. Thanks so much, Paul. Appreciate you having me. Um, so we, we've known each other for a while, right? I mean, you went to Amherst a couple years after I left, right? Yes, sir. And so we met in, in, in weird places, like we'd meet in the, in the green room at Fox and places like that along the way where you don't see too many Amherst guys, right? Yeah. Back in the day when CNN actually used to have conservatives on before they had the great purge under the Zucker administration. Yeah. I mean, you, you've, you've been around and I, and I, I want to talk about that and get your perspective on the media sure. um, and all the things happening with Trump, national security, given your CIA background, that's always a focus for us. And I think you can uh, add some value there, but let's start with the question I ask of everyone, where are you and how are you? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm a New York city based. I was born and raised here. So kind of stuck close to home, I guess, other than the CIA years, this has really been home base for me. Um, doing the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show. So that's the official replacement program for the Rush Limbaugh show. So we we're very fortunate. I mean, we got uh, catapulted onto over 400 radio stations every day from noon to three Eastern. And then uh, there's the Buck Sexton show podcast that I do, which is about 20 minutes just on my own, kind of a quick run through things every day. And I've been doing a show for the first TV, uh, which is a startup, uh, kind of like all these digital TV startups these days and Fox news hits here and there. People see me. So that's, that's what I'm up to. And I just got engaged. That's, I was going to so, congratulate you. I was, I was you. waiting for you and, to get to that part. Congratulations. And I get married. People, you know, I had relatives who were like, you're 40. It's going to start getting weird here if you don't <laughs> lock it down soon. So I was like, all right. So I got engaged and, uh, yeah, man, hoping to do the whole, uh, husband, dad thing in the next couple of years too. So following your footsteps there. There's nothing I recommend more highly than that. I didn't get married till I was 41, first kid at 42, second kid at 45. So uh, my recommendation is get in shape, man. Get in shape because there's nothing more physically funny, I've demanding. Been working out, I've been working out more consistently the last six months than at any time since I since I left the agency. And I feel like I only worked out a lot there because they actually paid us to work out. You know, they you could, not not like you guys with PT where it's mandatory, but you were allowed to go and work out for an hour a day. Um, but yeah, no, I've, I've seen this. My sister just had a kid and, uh, her forearm and like bicep strength is incredible because he's a little toddler now. And the, and the injuries you'll get, um, you know, I got hurt, uh, jumping on a slip and slide yesterday, definitely an old man injury, uh, and just picking up things. You I know, thought you, they discontinued you, those things because so many people were dislocating their shoulders. Am I? No, man, they're new. Now they're improved. They're wider, they're longer, they're supercharged. <laughs> I mean, I can attest that they go faster than they ever did. It's better than when we had a long sheet of plastic that my dad used to get from his job and we did a fire hose, but, but, there, but let, let's, let's transition from that media is a fire hose right now. You mentioned yes, it sir. and I wanted to start there to kind of paint the picture your role in the media is is powerful, right? You're, you know, I think number three in the country, your show in, in, in talk radio. You've inherited this time slot from Rush Limbaugh. I grew up in New York listening to Rush Limbaugh. Listening you mean, to you mean audience size on radio? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Number one, number one. Are you guys no, Are you guys ahead of Hannity now? Okay, maybe Hannity's <laughs> number one. We're number two, but we're very, we're it's very right. close. It's very. I close. mean, what I saw was like almost ten million power rankings. Yeah, that's yeah. not necessarily. That's kind of a. There's somewhat subjective in that, but like, I mean, Sean is an in, Sean is an institution, so clearly uh, he's got a massive, massive audience. But well, you know what? We'll take number two. We'll take number yeah, two. yeah. But but you know, my my bigger point is you're a powerhouse. You know, you and Clay have inherited maybe the most coveted spot in talk radio coming in behind Rush. You know, I remember uh, growing up as a kid and my neighbor, um, 
His, his, his dad worked at the post office and did job. He always had Rush on. There was an entire generation of guys in my neighborhood, and I grew up that just had Rush on constantly. And sure. I don't think many of them even considered themselves Republicans. I think there was a populism to it and an independence to it. Talked about conservative values and things like that. But I want to ask you, can you explain, let's say somebody is coming in from Mars and they know nothing about talk radio and your role in the media landscape. Who do you talk to? Who is your audience? If you went deeper into that 10 million people, and I'm sure advertisers and others have, but can you paint the picture for us? Who is the audience you talk for and with on a daily basis? Yeah, sure. I mean, our, our audience, but first off, I think it's so interesting because Rush built this incredible machine of over 600 radio stations. And there was, there were, there were really a few decades uh, well, you know, let's say a couple of decades where if you were center right in, in any capacity, so including populist conservatives, including people that maybe are in right leaning independents, there were only a few institutions uh, in the media that really moved the needle in a massive way. Fox News as a, as a general entity, Rush Limbaugh as an individual entity. Um, and, and then you could say maybe a combination of all the other talk radio and, and uh, internet websites and all that. So I, I would say that that would be the breakdown starting around the late 90s going into the 2000s. Um, it's, the landscape has changed a lot. So uh, as everyone knows, but specifically for conservative media, there are, you know, there are massive podcasters now, right? I mean, podcasts, I remember when I was doing a podcast and it was like a hobbyist thing while I was doing radio and so I, I started on digital streaming, streaming radio, which is just now people just think it's streaming audio, right? But we called it streaming radio at the time in like 2012, I think it was, so about a decade ago. Um, and that was considered very new. And now, I mean, you, obviously Rogan and I mean, Corolla's had a huge audience in the game for a long time. There are these guys who have built massive, massive podcast audiences. So, and then you, when you add social media following into that, no one's ever going to replicate the influence as a solo individual show that Rush Limbaugh had from, you know, let's say the late 80s into when, when Rush passed. Uh, it's just not possible. People could, a lot of people would say just because, you know, a unique talent, which is obviously true in, in a sense. But also, man, it's such a different space. There are so many ways that people consume content and, and ways that people... Um, are getting their information. So if you were center right, it used to be before Drudge and Fox, it was Rush and some other talk show hosts, really, right? That was it. Maybe National Review and some more um, scholarly journals of opinion. Right. But now, man, it's, it's, I mean, like, you know, the Daily Wire is huge, yeah. huge podcast. So do you see like, Buck, do you see like a, is there kind of a bifurcation where you've got old school terrestrial radio listeners, right? People who are in the car a lot, you know, old, generally older white men, people who listen to WABC, maybe back when the Yankees were on there, right? And then you've got this new podcasting world that's Shapiro and Bongino and people that maybe didn't start on terrestrial radio, but are, but are coming to you in different ways. And then obviously there's a fired up base that's on social media that's seeing you on Fox. Is it, is it kind of a couple of different audiences in one that, 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 that you're oh, reaching? For sure. I mean, it's multi, it's multi-platform. I mean, even some of those names you just, you just mentioned, those are guys who have done radio at a, at a big level. They've got a huge podcast. They've got massive social followings. They do TV. I think now, um, you know, it, it used to be, I think if you wanted to in a more general news media and commentary space, but particularly if you're just in news media, you know, you wanted the anchor chair at CBS Evening News, right? I mean, there's just very few things that were going to compete with that. Yeah. I mean, now there's tons of things in terms of influence and reach that I would say even supersede a role like that. Yeah. And that's been the case for some time. So and, and there's and there's money and editorial freedom. Right. I mean, you know, some of you guys are many of you guys are running your own show. Right. Like you can control oh, your advertisers. Absolutely. You don't have to answer to an editorial person in your ear telling you what to cover or what not to cover. So there's a ton of freedom. I mean, you see somebody like Chris Cuomo now who's reemerging. He can do a lot different things than he used to do at CNN under that kind of banner. Right. So I want to I, I want to ask you to, you know, maybe kind of be a voice for your audience. Right. Like 
as an independent, there's almost no space for us, right? You've got like the Smirkaniches and some might argue um, Cuomo's or Rogan's or even, you know, back to the days of Imus uh, and folks like that. But the middle is is kind of gone. So you're often on Fox and on other places, you know, kind of channeling your audience. So let me ask you this with wait, the news. I, can I just, I didn't, I didn't wait. answer your question here. Sorry. I didn't mean to jump in. You, no, you no, said, like, who is my audience? Yeah. Uh, and we have pretty good demographic data on this. It's about 60, 40, male, female. Now I'm speaking about radio specifically, um, right. but on the, that, that's my main thing. The radio is the flagship of what I do. It's about 60, 40, male, female, which is actually a really high female proportion. Clay and I like to say it's because we have great hair, but I don't, you know, it's, it's, we don't, we don't, really, we don't, I think we'd like, maybe we're more accessible or we, uh, Clay brings obviously a big sports component into it as well. Right. Um, but so we're, we're, you know, it's a pretty, pretty solid split. We have a larger female audience than is, than is, uh, the tendency in talk, talk radio is usually 80% male, right. Um, something like that. Uh, and in our audience is, you know, it's, it's really just a cross section of working America. I mean, depending on what, because we're on coast to coast, we're on across the whole, you know, all 50 States. we got guys in Alaska, guys in Florida, gals in California, New York. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, and, and yes. obviously right of center, but we do have a, we have a fair number of independents and even we love this because they call in. We even have Democrats who I wouldn't say hate listen, but curiosity listen. You know, oh yeah. Like, I think that was always, you know, the under uh, quantified part of Russia's audience, right. was like how many people call or listen uh, to study or to hate or to pick fights or whatever they're doing. Right. But that it's hard to quantify that, that percentage of the audience, but sa- safe to say you're reaching, a, you know, one of the biggest audiences in the country. And part of what I want to want to have in, in this conversation is to, to help you, Uh, to give you an opportunity to kind of channel maybe what's coming next, because we're having this conversation, um, you know, it'll drop, you know, roughly a week after the warrant was delivered to Mar-a-Lago. The country is deeply divided. Um, You have a national security background in the CIA and working for the NYPD. So I want to kind of point to that piece in particular. Can you give me a sense of what do you think the reaction is going to be? I mean, over the next couple of weeks, you talk to this audience on a regular basis and, and on a threat level, right? Because some folks are saying civil war. Some folks are saying protest. Some folks are saying we don't accept the election. From a national security standpoint and given your expertise, what do you think the the action and activism and political activity looks like in the next couple of weeks after this, this whatever we're going to call it, raid, warrant, delivery, incident at Mar-a-Lago? So- I, I tend to, and this maybe is a holdover from my CIA days, writing, writing, uh, you know, very tightly worded papers. You know, you were going around kicking in doors, actually fighting for America. I was making lattes and writing very astute memos about foreign policy. Although I, I went to Iraq and Afghanistan and some other spots too, but I never really did. You did your that. time. You did your part. I never you did, did anything part. that exciting. You did um, your part. But uh, I tried. That was honestly one of the CIA. I was like, well, I think I'll be better at helping the warfighter by being a sneaky guy who outthinks the enemy kind of, that was just my, I was a college kid. I had no background in anything. I was well, just, si- sidebar, you, you were also at Amherst, which has a long history of feeding people into the CIA. And I think three past directors of the CIA, CIA were director. Amherst grad- graduates. So that was, you know, it's not like you just came out of left field. I mean, you that were coming true. out of a place where the CIA recruited smart guys like you and gals like, yeah. like, like us to go do that kind that of work. That is true. And there's more CIA directors from Amherst college than any school with the, uh, I think the only one that, that lines up, I think Naval Academy. Maybe the Nav- Naval Academy. Yeah. 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 I was going to say one of the academies. Um, yep. But uh, anyway, so, so what's going to happen with, uh, yeah. but, but back to why I was bringing up the, the memo writing uh, at the agency uh, back at Langley, you know, if you, if you took the less exciting storyline as your thesis, you were right nine out of 10 times. Mm-hmm. So I find, you know, oh, is this, is this, you know, is China going to invade Taiwan? Guess what? Every person who said China's about to, you know, China is invading Taiwan has been wrong so far. Every person who said, no, 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 it's saber rattling. So just to, that's, I tend to approach things from that context. So here's what I think you're going to find out about the raid um, or the, or the, depending on, I know you've got people on both sides in your audience. So the entirely by the book, judicially sanctioned professional removal of documents from Marlock, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, we can call it the Mar-a-Lago thing for the sake the of conversation. Thing. Let's yeah, call yeah. it the Mar-a-Lago thing. Okay? I, 
I think that they're going to find out that it really was just about, uh, it was about documents. And I think that uh, the way that they have breathed. So, so it's, it's kind of a couple of moving pieces at the same time. One thing is that the people who really despise Trump to the point where I think they are not objective. And I'm not even saying there are things that they hate about Trump that aren't true. I'm a Trump supporter in terms of the policies. And, but I understand there are things about him as, as, a, as an individual or as that really drive people a little crazy. But it drives them so crazy that I think they often have the opposite effect of what they intend, meaning instead of keeping their cool and making the case or instead they're like, we're pulling off the guardrails, anything to stop Trump. I mean, you saw this with journalists. They said this out loud. We're not objective storytellers anymore. We're, you know, the truth means anti-Trump is essentially the line when he was in office. So what that means for Mar-a-Lago is I think that I think that this will look like a pretty massive uh, blunder on their part uh, and, and as objectively as it can be. And again, I see the thing is I always tell people where I come from, like I like Trump, I support Trump. And, and I think that a lot of this, um, the stuff that's been done against him up to this point is really bad for the country. I also think January 6th was really bad for the country. And I've been very critical of that and the president on that day, but that doesn't mean that I don't support um, what Donald Trump did in office for the most part. Anyway, so can we build um, off of that? Because I think sure, that's sure. the important point, right? Is, is not just the what, but sometimes the what doesn't matter, right? The what's next is what I want to get to, right? So knowing this audience as you do, seeing how they view the media, seeing how it's going to be played on both sides, we can predict the play, right? And if you say they're you know usually wrong nine out of 10 times, maybe it's eight out of 10 times. And those two times are January 6th and the invasion of Ukraine. Right. And those, so yes. they're big. So, so, you know, how, you know, how intense, how violent, how, uh, how, how disruptive you've got people openly calling for civil war. Right. And you're in a place on both sides and you're in a place where you can guide that tone. That's part of why I really wanted to talk to you. And I hope you'll come back because um, you can influence people profoundly and how they view this, but also how they think about what to do about it. Yeah. I mean, so, so, so what sure, do you sure. see coming out of the, what people are going to do about it? I think it's going to be political and not violent. Um, that is my honest as assessment of, of where this is likely to go, which is a good thing. Obviously that's my, my, my big preference. I think the politics and what I was trying to allude to before a little bit is that they'll be somewhat different from what the people that instigated the action at Mar-a-Lago anticipated, because I think they viewed it, meaning the people at DOJ, Merrick Garland as, you know, the law is the law and like Trump's not above the law. And this is where we're going to show everybody to everybody who ever cast a vote for Donald Trump. It's this is a continuation of the weaponization of the deep state and the persecution. And so there's a rallying around the flag, or if you will, a rallying around the Trump effect here that's really going to be, I think, pretty strong because there's no smoking gun in the documents that they were looking for in the basement. You know, should Trump have given the documents? Probably, but there's nothing of consequence and the much bigger issue here is you've ordered an FBI, even if you want to call it an FBI search, you're going to the home of, a, of the most recent president, who's also a likely presidential candidate. The optics of this are horrible. I mean, the threshold for this, and, and I'm speaking about this as objectively as I can, given my, my perspective, but the threshold right. for this should be real. And there are people who have, I mean, Andrew Cuomo came out and said the threshold for this needs to be really high. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think we're going to meet that threshold at all. Um, and I think that'll be pretty obvious. And you're going to have a lot of people say, well, the law is the law. I'm like, that's not going to be enough. Um, I don't think there's going to be, uh, you know, riots in the streets. And, you know, I think that uh, January 6th, which... Wasn't it wasn't like the whole country and every Republican I know is saying, you know, we need to do this crazy thing in the camp. This was a a group that gathered together and it was actually a much larger group and then a faction of it broke off. And as soon as it happened, every as soon as we saw what was going on TV, every conservative that I know and am friends with and respect was like, this is not only wrong, which it was, but also a blunder. What's the, is it the Talleyrand line? It was worse than a mistake. It was a blunder, right? Or in right, this case, right. So I think, I think that's where, yeah, that's what I think is, is most interesting to talk about rather than, you know, 
punching back and forth on, on conservative and liberal media, like, okay, we can kind of shake out how it may or may not go down. And in some ways, the truth doesn't matter, but there's kind of a, a political flashpoint, right? Like Democrats will see this as a rally cry. You know, Trump supporters will see this as a rally cry. And, and then it goes towards something else. And, and I think what I want to want to get from you, Buck, is I assume Trump's going to run again. Right. I assume he's going to announce he's waiting for his timing. Um, do you think he'll he will announce and this could actually propel his candidacy? It could propel his base. How big that base is, what it manifests into, we'll see. But practically speaking, do you think he's going to run? When do you think he's going to announce? And are you going to support him? Um, I think it's yes across the board to everything that you've said, if I can remember uh, all the points made. Um, <laughs> He, yes, he's going to run. Yes, the base will rally around him. Um, yes, I will support him. Um, I, you know, I am also very favorable and I'm very open about this to Governor Ron DeSantis as a possible candidate. I think more than any other governor or politician I can remember, I think that he earned at least my vote as a New Yorker who could flee to Florida during the madness of the lockdowns, which were wrong on every level should never have happened. And, and this is, I, I do think, you know, that's another place where I need my independence to start being a little louder about that one. Um, the, cause I was anti lockdowns and anti masks and on the record with that stuff. When Trump was president, I was like, this is a mistake. This is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. The look at the data, look what we know. Um, and I think when people went into their political bunkers over that thing, it just got I mean, we, you know, we can't do that when it comes to something like a pandemic, you can't have people saying, well, yeah. blue team says this and red team says that. Um, anyway, yeah, I don't uh, think anything, I don't think anything's driven more independence away from the democratic party than the mask stuff, right? The COVID I, response, the masking me and others have been vocal about it. I got two little kids. I got a three-year-old who was going to preschool with a mask. I, I get it. And I think that has driven people away, but also as someone who understands this evolution of the GOP. It also seems like independents are leaving the GOP in huge numbers too, because of Trump. Right. And it's that, I think that seems to be playing out while at the same time, Trump backed governors are winning. Right. So fall is looking like this clash between, you know, uh, uh, Democrats uh, who are getting party support and Republican candidates who are not getting party support, but are getting Trump support. So you got this kind of pre pre clash this November and and I want to ask you, you know, what does that mean for independence? I would argue as an independent, as someone talks independence, you guys are losing us. I say the same thing to the Democrats. I, I said it to Pete Buttigieg. I say it to John Tester. You guys are losing us, too. Um, where do you think those independents realistically go? Because they're not going to go to Trump. They're not going to go to Biden or Kamala Harris. So this is independent Americans. Where do you think they're going to go, Buck? Can, can, can you the next time you speak to Secretary of Transportation, Buddha Judge, because he's not going to talk to me. Do you just ask him, hey, the airlines are in the worst shape they've been in since, you know, the last, let's say the last 20 years, they're falling apart on your watch. We have a baby formula shortage and we have supply oh, chain issues. I, I think there's a lot of people you can beat up on. I wouldn't pick Buddha Judge as my first because I think, uh, you know, indisputably, he's one of the smarter people and more competent people in the Democratic Party. And if I'm you, you might not get any better than Buddha Judge, no, right? No, like, see, and, 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 I want to, but I don't want to. And I'll, I'll, I'll put in a good word. I'll ask, a, I'll ask him. I'll tell him to come on your I'm show. I'm not just trying to throw a throw a pie here. I just want to know. So whose fault is it? <laughs> oh, I mean, look, we could talk infrastructure all day. I think it's America's, yeah. you know, one of America's greatest failures of our time. I think it's similar to the way, you know, the VA has been uh, handled. I think there are plenty of things that have been inherited by multiple administrations and multiple parties. And the bottom line for me is I'm practical. My roads still fucking suck, right? Steve. Port Authority is still a disaster. LaGuardia is still an armpit, right? Like those things haven't changed. And I blame all of them. And that's why I'm an independent, because you're not going to convince me that Republicans are going to be any better or Democrats are going to be any better. So I, maybe, maybe that's another way of, of asking it. Like, you, you know, you're, like, you're like battling for hearts and minds, right. As a former CIA yeah. guy. And now as a talk show host, where, where do you think they're really going to go? Are they going to go to Adam Kinzinger? They're not going to go to Andrew Yang. So, so here's where what do you I'll think say, they're going to go. Cause I think the transportation uh, thing is actually uh, uh, maybe a good, a good entry point for this. Yeah. Meaning the secretary of, you know, Buttigieg, um, the, the the mainstream Democrat Party and for the people in your audience who are and by the way, this is great. For, I love being able because, you know, probably I would say 10 percent of my audience 
maybe maybe 15 are independents and 5% are Democrats. So I really don't get to talk to them very much. So I, I really do relish the opportunity. Um, the mainstream Democrat Party has been, uh, I, I argue and truly believe, indisputably wrong on crime policies nationwide across the country, indisputably wrong on um, the, the border and the function of things like the Remain in Mexico policy and other measures that you either want illegal immigration or you don't. And if you want it, they're doing great things. If you want to limit it or stop it altogether, there couldn't be more wrong. Um, inflation, I would argue, they're a little bit more reckless on, but Republicans, Trump, spent too much money too. So there's some areas where it's it's just too clear. I mean, it's too clear to me. And then COVID, I think the Democrat Party is just completely out of its mind on COVID, turned it into a weird religion. I think Fauci is one of the worst people to have ever had any kind of bureaucratic role in the United States government, maybe the worst. Um, I think he's a liar. I think he's deeply- deep Ever? Deep. Ever? Like in the I, history well, of America? Come on, you're an Amherst, were you a history in, grad in my, Ever? My Fauci is, okay. In your lifetime. I see, okay. I, you know how some people react to Trump and they're just like, he's he's worse than Stalin. It's like, Stalin killed 20 million people. I mean, I, I, I'm a little bit of, I have a little bit of Fauci derangement syndrome insofar as I just think that, and, I, and it's not him personally. I don't know him. I've interviewed him a couple of times before I knew who I was. Um, but that whole mentality of locking people away in their homes and trying to keep them safe from a virus and failing massively and then continuing to do it. Uh, anyway, so where, so where, I, I got to be mindful of your time because you got to go talk to 10 million people uh, in, 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 a, in a couple of minutes here. Where do they go? Buck? Like, like, tell, put, put your, I'm going to tell radio. Give me one second. I'm telling radio <laughs> right now. I'm going to I'm going to be a little closer to the wire. here. All we right. Got, I promised got, you I'd got, get you out of here in time and I don't want to miss got, that. We mark. got 1045 my time. We I got to bounce. OK, I'm OK, telling right now. You got it. We can we can just get going here. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, I. I, I really want to drill down on this because I think, you know, you're unapologetically recruiting for your team, right? Buddha judge is out there recruiting for his team and I'm sure. recruiting for mine. And I, you know, my team is very small. You know, I had, we've had Admiral Stravides on, we've had a lot of other folks on that feel politically homeless. And I think you guys are losing us. And I think that the Democrats are losing us. And now you got, I think some kind of political opportunists like Andrew Yang and others who think they're going to be the savior and his, his assessment is correct that independents have power and are disenfranchised and present an opportunity, but his prescription is wrong. We don't want King Andrew Yang any more than we wanted Bloomberg or Steve Forbes or others. So I'm still, I'm asking you to sure. put that CIA analyst hat on, yeah, yeah, that yeah, big yeah. Amherst no. brain. Where are they going to go, Buck? Where are they so, really going to go? So here, here's the thing. I, I really do believe that there is a, uh, the branding exercise of American politics has really broken down into Trump and anti-Trump, or let's say the Democrat Party, sort of the big blue machine versus Trump. And there's a lot of other stuff and a lot of other people that really do matter. And in some cases, and this is one thing, one thing from the pandemic that I'll say um, was at least a helpful reminder uh, in some ways, was that your governor matters, your mayor yeah. matters, the state legislature matters. Uh, and and it was also a time when I think people were able to see that this wasn't some theoretical about taxes or even a lot of foreign policy stuff. As you know, I know people sit around like, oh, but if we don't show strength on the world stage, I mean, really, you know, I'm swirling my latte as I say it, like, give me a break. Um, but on things like shutting down your bar that you own or your your you know retail location or whatever where you work or you're a, a, you know, a franchisee, uh, that can bankrupt you or it can really throw your life off, right? And so the decisions made at the state level, and I'm trying to back into your thing about independence, I think you will see that there are results that come from, from what people do that are supposed to represent you. And increasingly, I would hope that uh, people can see that they need to make decisions based on those results and not the branding of this team or that team makes me feel a certain way. Now, I would argue that on a whole range of issues, based on the results, people should overwhelmingly feel that the Republican Party is their home. But I would also say that that focus on results needs to stay. And there are some places where you know there are clear there are clear deficiencies or have been deficiencies on my side that I would want to see 
address. I mean, overspending, giving into Fauci, yeah. and a lot of things. Even yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of like you know, it's kind of like being a Dodgers fan and watching the Red Sox or the Yankees play. You kind of want them both to lose, and you can't, right? Like you, you, they're gonna they're gonna be there. You're gonna have to watch it, and you're gonna have to sit through it. But there's all this is also happening in a time where you know maybe the Dodger a lot of Dodger fans are are, are supporting whoever won the World Series last, and you know there was momentum. Um, for Trump at many points. There've been, there's been momentum for Democrats at other points. You know, it feels like at the national level, the Democrats have put together a string, right? They passed more legislation in the last few weeks than I think most of us would have expected. And significant legislation, whether or not anyone hears it, whether or not they get any credit for it, they're putting points on the board, right? And then on the other side of things, Trump's now got new energy after this Mar-a-Lago incident. He's winning in governorships, you know, across the, the country every Tuesday. It's another one, I think, Wisconsin yesterday, right? So so these are they're going to meet in the middle and they're going to clash. And a lot of us in the, it, who are independents, I don't say in the middle, but who say none of the above, we're basically middle finger to all of them, pox on everybody's houses because you're failing us on that on that practical level. I don't think they're going to go to either side. And so it might be who just who's on who's got the momentum at that moment when the election happens, who isn't indicted, who isn't dead. Right. Like if Trump and Biden are the candidates, you know, their health and their age, the likelihood of both of them being healthy by the time we get to 2024 is pretty low. So there's all these variables where Kamala Harris could come in or DeSantis could come in. And at the end of the day, we're not going to be happy with any of it. Right. And so this this goes to there's the mid, you know, of course, there's the midterm and how that is uh, going to play out based upon the the trends, the momentum, everything you're talking about right now. But it's it's you do it, I do it too. Even on on, on radio, or we, we all immediately go to the 2024 presidential election. You know the whole the whole big thing all at once. I think the midterms are going to be uh, very difficult for Democrats and should be because I think that even if you look at the on a best case basis, they ended up, uh, I mean, they brought, they brought this bill up. And, and I, I just had recently a show where I said, wake up time, guys. We're, we're not going to take the Senate under the current, like Republicans are not going to take the Senate unless they have a number of candidates. We can have all the, you know, we can talk to preach the choir on the right as much as we want about how crappy Democrats are. Again, I believe that, but uh, we're not going to win unless we get your audience People like your audience who are persuadable, right? Right. See, this thing, I, I, I like the opportunity. I don't get it that much. In the media sit down with someone and be like, "What? What matters to you? What do you care about?" I mean, all the polling shows, you know, economy, inflation, the border, and then it, you know, then it kind and of and a lot of us who are independents, national security. And that's never in the top ranking, but we vote on it and we care about it and we track on it. Right. Like I think Biden's smart to, to trumpet the, the PACT Act for veterans that's going to get signed at, at the White House. They're gonna, they know that that's populist, that, right? that's politically popular. But the national security piece is always like the knuckleball. Right. And it's always floating around out there because Ukraine can happen. Domestic extremism can happen. Right. And, and I think that's a part that's underappreciated. And when you've got Trump and Biden, uh, you don't have, you know. Uh, Admiral Stravides, you don't have Admiral Mike Mullen or Petraeus or Keene or whoever you want to pick. They feel like they're uniquely up for grabs for someone like a Kinzinger. It's not going to be Kinzinger. But if Admiral Stravides decides to run as an independent or someone like that, there seems to be a unique opportunity to capture that group. I mean, don't you think? Kinzinger's, the, the challenge for someone like Kinzinger is that when you when you get elected running on the right and then you are viewed and again, I'm just this is the broad perception that anybody else, I think, who is on the right, as I, as I am, I don't prefer I don't pretend to be in the center. Um, they view him as essentially a, a political turncoat. Um, right. So sure, he's sure. never you know, he's never going to have any real resonance on the right anymore. Uh, he, he's he's obviously not going to be keeping his job. So uh, that that to me doesn't really you have to sort of start from a place of being in the center, um, given our party system in order to continue. Uh, you know, you basically either are there and that's where you are, or you're always going to be considered playing for the other team, even if you think you're in the center. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, like, there's a lot know. of people who are who, who are changing jerseys, who didn't come up in the farm team. And I think that's what we've seen on this show. We've tried to highlight is the people who are legitimately unaffi- unaffiliated and independent, not Democrats or Republicans who changed their jersey for this season. But I think there's a new generation of people who are. Um, born independent, stayed independent. Their spirit animal is not Andrew Yang. It's George Washington who said he didn't want parties at all. And I think what we're looking at in the fall is who shows up, 
right? Are, are more Trump supporters going to show up than people who are upset about Roe? Are independents going to show up at all? Uh, is there going to be a Liz Cheney, a Kinzinger middle that's able to coalesce any significant number of people? It doesn't look like it. I think the real question for November, especially in a, in a, in a midterm, is turnout, right? And it's going to be who actually comes out and, and votes yeah. on likely one or two issues, right? Well, see, I think it's interesting because there's going to be a lot of talk about uh, Trump and Biden, and that's just the way it is. That's the nature of our business. The midterm elections are going to turn on, or the Republicans are going to win the House, so it's a question of how many seats. And that's just off your election for them, weak economy, a lot of stuff, right? No, no, I haven't heard anybody who is to be taken seriously who doesn't think Republicans are going to at least get a majority. I mean, whether the question is whether they run the table in a big way, or, but they're actually not in it's not even like 2010 because they don't have as many seats that they can really realistically win. So the initial, the end result may be fabulous for Republicans, but the actual trend, the change, right? The, uh, the change in seats might not be that big. Senate's going to be very tough and the Senate's going to be candidate by it's candidate by candidate. And this is what I yeah. keep pounding the table about. So to your point about, you know, what, you know, where do independents, how do they feel? I, I think a better way maybe of framing it is uh, for, for our purposes now, um, what do independents in Georgia think? What do independents in Nevada think and Pennsylvania and Arizona um, about the people that they're going to be voting for in those yeah. states, specifically on the Senate side, but also on, on the gubernatorial side? And that's where I hope it is, um, you know, the, the results based and specifically around the issue of how people handle uh, COVID and the economy. And those two things are inextricably linked. Um, that, because I think that people need to be held accountable for it. Uh, yeah, and Utah, that, maybe Utah. We've, we've had Evan McMullen on the show. We've talked about it. I mean, that I think is maybe the most fascinating race of all to watch because it's the only example we're going to have of a Trump-supported Republican and then someone who's running as an independent, right? And the Democrats are sitting this one out. I didn't, right? He's and running? <laughs> yeah, well, he's he's actually knocking on the door and he's also a CIA guy. Oh, so I know you're being facetious. I know you're being I know you're being facetious, but I think people are underestimating the surprises, right? Evan McMullen can beat Mike Lee. I'm going to say it. Maybe we'll bet a beer on it or a I latte. Love it. Oh, dude, I right? would take it. Right? I will, we'll, I will see. Take that and bet. we'll see. We'll see if the turnout happens. We'll see if Democrats. It's, it's a it's a case study. Will Democrats hold their nose and vote for the guy they, they know used to be a Republican, but is not a Trump supported, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, so, so here's here's the GOP thing, guy. Right. There, and there, Mike Lee, not a, like a moderate. Right. He's I'll not say, a moderate. I'll say this. And I think this applies to although, honestly, I haven't. And, and now in the serious zone, not trying to be funny. I haven't really followed <laughs> Evan's stuff in a while. I don't know what he says or thinks about a lot of. You should. Things. You should have him on. I think that I think that'd be an interesting discussion. You guys should. <laughs> you guys should. Two CIA guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'd be I'd, I'd be fine to have him on. I just uh, but I mean, I know more about what Kinziger and Liz Cheney and some of these uh, Republicans. And here's the you, you cannot. And this is true in the pundit space as well, because uh, I've seen people that I've known who used to be very conservative, who now all of a sudden are going on TV to say, yeah, I mean, abortion all nine months of a pregnancy like that's totally constitutional because they've just they've had this this reactionary effect to Trump specifically and Trumpism whereby they've decided the only way to slow this down is to go play for the other team entirely. And any Republican who crosses over, and I think a lot of them have into that realm, they're now just considered opposite. They're, they're considered either controlled opposition or just outright opposition by the actual base. And, and I understand that. So I think that's a problem. Trump breaks down people's judgment, even, even when they have legitimate grievances against some aspect of Trump policy or personality, he had, they go completely crazy, right? I mean, yeah. if Trump, if Trump gives them a little shove in a bar, they go right for grabbing a chair to try to smash it over his head. It's like, if you do that, you're going to get arrested. Right? Like, well, and, and, and you're, you're taking the bait because he loves that shit and it propels him. And I think the underestimated misunderstood power of Trump is very simple. It's fuck you to the man. Right. It's not about policy. It's not about uh, specific legislation. In the end, he has always channeled something that is very uniquely American, which is fuck the system, fuck the system, fuck the man, fuck the rich guys, fuck the people who are screwing us. That's always been a part of American politics. And he has captured it and channeled it in a way that nobody else ever has. I think um, that's 
not only do I think that's true, I mean, I have heard that from so many Trump supporters that I cannot even begin to. It's true. Assess it it's it's like when you were in high school and, and kids were, you know, writing on their desk, fuck the world. Right. And, and you know, it, it's like punk rock. It's something very deep. And, and he has uniquely channeled that the Democrats continue to fail to challenge to, to channel that. And, you know, that this is where we are. Well, really the Democrats messy. are the man, Paul. This is what the price why we're going to bring you. Well, I think you're all I think you're I think you're on my side. We're going to I think you're all I think you're all the man. I want and I want to see the whole duop, duopoly implode. And and look, I promised you I'd, I'd let you out of here. Um, I got one last question that you cannot avoid. One, one that separates everybody, divides America, very intense. You cannot pick a middle ground. You must pick a side. Buck Sexton, pancakes or waffles? I have celiac disease. So I can basically eat neither of them in the standard form. But if you're giving me gluten-free Gotta go waffles more exciting than pancakes. Waffles, Mark. I like the little grooves. I go waffles. See, this this is a question that I, I'm always glad we ask. It's fascinating. It's divisive. You can test it on your show. Just give me a credit and throw a million or two of your listeners over here. Um, but I hope you'll come back. I appreciate Absolutely. the exchange. Um, it's exciting to see your rise, you know, as a media, a student of media and politics. I think it's a really fascinating time. You're in a powerful point. I know you care deeply about your country uh, and you've served it for a long time. And, and, and I feel better about the fact um, that you're going to help guide that uh, versus a lot of the other alternatives that could be in, in, in that chair. Right? I, I will take that I am better than a lot of the alternatives. <laughs> for your skeptical left of center audience, they uh, should they should try to help the Bucks. They, they're out. not. This is the thing, Buck. They're not left of center. They're they're none of the above. And I think that's what the Republicans and Democrats are going to find out over time. I hope we can continue yeah, man, the conversation. And we'll have you on the show sometime, too, especially anytime. Better C- congratulations on the engagement. Because, you. you know, parenthood is coming up and that will undoubtedly be the hardest mission you've ever undertaken. <laughs> Sir. Thank you, my friend. Stay vigilant. Thank Take care. All right, y'all. Now you know who Buck Sexton is. And like I said, love him or hate him, he's someone you should at least try to understand so follow him on social media check out his show hear what he's talking about hear what his listeners and his callers are talking about and see how he's at least trying to attract independent americans part of being an active citizen means seeking out different types of opinions and seeking to understand and that means going into different media spaces that you might not have gone into before it's another way you can add light to contrast to heat And it's another way you can be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Helpers are out there, including many of you. I want to thank you for continuing to share your stories with me and to share the hashtag, look for the helpers. I continue to fire them up on all our social media platforms, so look for me on every one of them and share yours. And when you're on social, every Wednesday night, you can play Guess the Guest. You can guess who my next guest is, and I'm going to tell you next week, it is a big one. I'm going to give you an advanced preview. Next week's guest is a person I've wanted on this show for a very long time, and you will not be disappointed. So you'll get your chance next Wednesday, Guess the Guest. And if you want to see video from my conversation with Buck Sexton or any of our previous episodes, including our ones that were focused on Ukraine, I want to remind everybody there is still a very important, very bloody, very pivotal war happening in Ukraine. Go back and check out all of our episodes on that, on the PACT Act and on other national security related issues and more at independentamericans.us. You can also join our Patreon community. Big shout out to all of them. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate all your support. Please keep spreading the word. We don't have fancy sponsors. We don't have 10 million listeners like Buck Sexton does, but we're gaining more and more of them every single day. Thanks to listeners like you. Thanks to people like you who are part of the Independent Americans community and who continue to spread the word. And we're going to continue to bring you the five eyes and independent Americans and everything we do out of Righteous Media. And if you're new here, the five eyes are independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And they're brought to you by the Righteous Media team, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. And 
thanks to tremendous support from my amazing wife and two boys. If you heard the last episode, you know we were celebrating the amazing life and birth of my seven-year-old son, Ryder, and we're still celebrating. I'm exhausted because I spent the last three days at a go-kart racing camp, which was fucking awesome. Highly recommended wherever you are. Get your kid in a go-kart if you can. Make a go-kart if you can. When I was a kid, I used to try to make one in my backyard and fail. Now, there are racing camps all around the country, and it's an incredible experience, even if you just go watch and check them out. But it's summer in America, and that means it's racing season. Whether it's NASCAR, F1, go-karts, dirt track, racing all across America is flying. And if you've never been, go check it out. And another thing to check out. Check out our social media and this show where we continue to focus on primary days in America. Another primary day happened this week. Wyoming had their primary. They have an open but partisan primary. And you saw what happened there. Liz Cheney was defeated by the Trump supporter. Alaska also had their primary and they have final four ballots. And now they will have three candidates, including Sarah Palin, in a final election between two Republicans and one Democrat. But Alaska's primary is open and in many ways a model for America. Meanwhile, closed primaries are continuing in states across the country, and there's an effort underway to make more of them closed in places like Alabama and Missouri. Closed primaries shut out millions of independent Americans and are bad for their states and bad for America. So check out if your state is on that list and join the fight. Go to independentamericans.us or check out our friends at openprimaries.org. You can see what the status is in your state. And whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, or none of the above, supporting open primaries and election reform is something everybody can and should support. Let us vote. Support open primaries and learn more and stay involved. So the guy who came before Buck Sexton, Rush Limbaugh, was undoubtedly one of the most important, influential, hated, and loved conservatives of our time. And this was Rush Limbaugh's theme song for decades. It's by The Pretenders. And it's actually a song about Akron, Ohio, where Chrissy Hind of The Pretenders was raised. Akron was a working, industrial city that was called the rubber capital of the world. And it's a place that smelled like burning rubber. And it was also the place where Chrissy Hind of the Pretenders grew up. And she liked growing up there. And it was also a town with a thriving rock scene in the 70s, with bands like Devo, the Bizarros, and Jane Eyre and the Belvedere's. Anyway... Hind would travel the country and played with a lot of bands before forming the Pretenders in 1978 when she relocated to England. But she came back to Akron in the 80s and she was disappointed in what the city had become. Segregation, shopping malls, unemployment. And she said, everything's just huge masses of granite blocks and everything's outsized. Might look good in a drawing, but it doesn't apply to human life. In 2017, she said she didn't even know about Limbaugh's show. And living in England, she wasn't even aware of him. When she learned about it, she made sure that any royalties from Limbaugh's use of her song went to PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. When she was later informed that Rush Limbaugh was still broadcasting, she said, a lot of shock jocks, I guess that's what they're called, stir up a certain dialogue with people. And I think we're going to see that now with the current president, who was then Donald Trump. It's certainly not a good time for people to be complacent. So Chrissy Hine from The Pretenders had a message. The city that she knew might be gone, but the vigilance remained. And that vigilance is more important now than ever before. And that includes being aware of what talk show hosts are saying and how they're conducting themselves, whether they're liberals or conservatives, the old guard or the new stars. Check out what they're saying 
and educate yourself and educate others who might not be fully aware beyond that one voice they listen to on the radio or in their car every day. Staying vigilant means staying vigilant about the media you consume and about demanding more truly independent media. So stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant and we are all in this together from the hundreds of conservative radio stations all across the country to the upstart liberal podcasts to the old vinyl of the pretenders from Liz Cheney to Dick Cheney to Rush Limbaugh to Chrissy Hind to Buck Sexton to you. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for a big episode coming up next week. Until then, down with Putin, Slava Ukraini, and stay vigilant, America. Media.